0: Hey everybody welcome to the blister podcast on the blister podcast network i'm jonathan ellsworth and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com today we've got one of our favorite skiers on the show tatum Minode, and in this conversation we talk with tatum about her film passage her trajectory, both that of her ski career and the trajectory of her life in general. We also talk about her ski, the Rossignol Black Ops 118, which, as many of you know, that happens to be one of our all-time favorite skis here at Blister. And then we also talk about music and fishing and graphics and design and more. And if you haven't yet watched Tatum's film Passage, you should do that either right before or right after you listen to this conversation because we do touch on it quite a bit, and I think that the commentary that Tatum provides in this conversation about the film will make the watching of Passage even cooler. This episode of the Blister Podcast is presented by Mountain Flow, makers of high-performing biodegradable ski wax and bike lube. We recently published a Gear 30 podcast episode with Mountain Flow's founder, Peter Arlene, where Peter and I really dive into the details on how Skiwax works and why having biodegradable products that also work is maybe a bigger deal than you might realize. And that is why we are really proud to be partnering with Mountain Flow. So, you can check out that Gear 30 episode with Peter Arlene. We'll include a link to it in the show notes. And then you can head over to mountainflow.com to check out all of Mountain Flow's current products. Now, just one more thing. Tomorrow, we are dropping a special edition of our Gear 30 podcast. And on it, we are going to be making a very big announcement about a very big new initiative that we are rolling out here at Blister. So be sure to subscribe to Gear 30 to catch that episode drop and to learn about one of the biggest and most ambitious new initiatives we've ever launched at Blister. True story. Check it out. And now let's go ahead and get to my conversation with the great and really fun Tatum Minode. Here we go. Well, Tatum, how are you today and where are you today?
1: I'm great. Thank you. I'm in Pemberton, BC at my home and uh, currently waiting out the rain. We've had a really good cycle so far this season, but um, kind of par for the course here on the coast. Just have to wait out a new little reset here.
0: I just got to do a bit of rain skiing in Austria. I I hadn't really skied in the rain in a while, so... It's great. It's exactly like other skiing that's not in the rain. You just are very tempted to wipe your goggles all the time. So I don't know. Good luck.
1: We're built for this up here. Like we, all that's why we have these super expensive, beautiful Gore-Tex kits. Like we're not going right. to melt out there. It's going to be everything's going to be okay. And you know, it's actually really fun. It's kind of like I've been going up the last three days in a row because it's just like slushy, fun spring shredding conditions. And yeah, you just. You wear your Gore-Tex kit. You're you're going to be fine.
0: <laughs> you're going to be fine. It has been a heck of a start to the season though, it seems. I'm really grateful. It seems like a lot of places on the sort of western side of North America have done very well. How has the start of your season been?
1: Incredible. I have never seen this amount of snow here in the 8 years that I've lived in Pemberton. It's it's incredible. Like we've been so, so lucky. And um, that's why I say, you know, we needed a little reminder that we were on the coast here. And that's what we got with this, this last little rain cycle. But prior to that, it's been absolutely all time.
0: I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. You and I were supposed to actually talk about a year ago, because you were going to be on one of our panels at the blister summit. But then we got Notice that you had um, just had a bit of a mishap in the back country. And it, we started before we hit the record buttons. I was like, I think it was a bit of a concussion issue. As like, and you're like, yeah, I don't remember. So I'm like, yeah, maybe it was a bit of a concussion issue.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So anyway, I'm sorry that this, uh, you know, this hasn't happened sooner. I am glad that it's happening now. But I think one of the things I wanted to do is your edit Passage came out this fall and there were such a number of kind of compelling quotes in that film that if you don't mind, I wanted to kind of walk through some of the stuff that you talked about and we got to see in, in that film. And we'll have a, a link to the film in the show notes for this episode. But one of the things that I thought was really interesting, you mentioned in Passage that you didn't start skiing till the age of 12. And in the film, you're like, you know, that's kind of weird because I grew up in a mountain town. But it's also a little stranger than that to me because your family has been in the ski shop game for kind of ever, right? So I was like, that's what I wanted to ask you about, how you are the kid of a ski shop owner and somehow, you know, you're not that kind of stereotypical story of like, my parents had me on skis before I could walk type of thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, it. it's actually even deeper than that. Like my whole family has been professional skiers, starting with my grandpa, <clears throat> excuse me, in the forties. He lived in Chamonix, France and was a mountain guide there. He started the first outdoor gear shop called Minot Sports right in Chamonix. Um, that was the prolific spot for all the alpinists and the mountaineers to get their gear at the time and then in the 40s uh late 40s he brought it to Banff the shop and my dad my uncles my aunt myself my brothers my cousins we've all put our time in at the shop but um yeah my whole my whole family has they they raced on the Canadian national ski team my my um two uncles my dad my aunt my mom and my dad met through skiing so really it's like so in my blood and in my DNA. And it's, it is pretty bizarre that I didn't start skiing till 12. I think I just had so many other interests and passions and it was never something my parents wanted to force on me. They really wanted to wait until I came to them and asked to go skiing. And ultimately I'm so glad they did because it was up to me. And I think Anything in life that's ever been kind of my doing and my decisions that's where i've that's where I've excelled so
0: so and this is really the question I wanted to ask Was there a bit of a rebellion move in this like wow, this skiing is such a strong identity for my family. I think I might you know kind of pull a James Dean move here and just kind of go a different direction or or was it more like no i just happened to be interested in all these other things
1: i mean perhaps it was a bit of a rebellion thing like i when i was 6 or 7 i finally told my parents i wanted to go up to the mountain but i wanted to snowboard <laughs> so my dad was pretty disappointed he's like uh all right well if you want to snowboard then you got to find your own your own board and boots and gear. We're not going to facilitate that kind of thing. And little six-year-old me goes to the rental shop and pounds on the door and asks for a snowboard. And I still have these photos uh, of me being a little girl holding this like really sick purple monster Burton board and like hitting the T-bar, the Palma, Mount Norquay. Um, So I, you know, I I did, th- I think I, I just snowboarded a couple times, um, one season. But really, I was just hugely into horses. That was, that was my life as a little girl growing up, and gymnastics. No, those were my my two interests, and there was really no time. I was fully dedicated to both those things.
0: Gotcha. Horses and gymnastics. <laughs>
1: crazy combo.
0: (laughs) I think that's a first. I think that's a first in all of our podcast conversations. (laughs) I'm not sure we've actually ever had a guest on who was like, I was super interested in horses. Uh, I think we've had some gymnastics before. Definitely not the combination.
1: Yeah. No, I grew up riding. Um, My parents, they actually, they live on a ranch right now and horses are still a huge part of their life. And that's definitely my goal, my 5-year goal. I want to get uh back into that and get a horse of my own sometime in my near future. Um they're just just incredible animals and it's so amazing to to connect with them and they can take you to amazing places in the mountains. So, um yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm obsessed. <laughs> Crazy horse girl over huh. here.
0: <laughs> and how much riding have you been able to do in the last, I don't know, decade?
1: Um, I mean, every time I go home to Alberta to visit my family, I get to ride and my parents are into uh into the cutting and reining stuff. So they have some pretty fun horses that are somewhat athletes and it's pretty cool to jump on them. And they they work my parents work really hard to show and train them. So you don't have to do a whole lot. These horses are just like super tuned into cows and they're yeah that's really like my parents biggest passion so I get to luckily for me I get to step into that when I go home and visit them
0: so what was it that at the age of 12 I guess got you to think maybe I ought to give this skiing thing a try and not just be all about you know the horses and gymnastics
1: yeah I mean I there was a few things like my older cousin, she skied and I thought she was cool. So I wanted to hang out with her. I, I remember my first day of skiing like very vividly. I remember skiing Cascade Chair at Mount Norquay, being at the top and just kind of clipping in and going down like it, I didn't really have to think twice. It was just in my kind of like a second nature for me. And honestly, it's been my life ever since.
0: Talk about the trajectory then. So I know racing was of interest. Maybe that had something to do again with your family history. It's like, I guess this is, if you're in this family, you race. Kind of what you do. Talk about how you got into that game. Or if at that point your family was finally like, cool, we didn't push you to get on skis. We are now going to put you in some, enter you in some races.
1: Yeah, I had this honestly this need for speed like right off the bat with with skiing like I think it was within the first few weeks of learning how to ski that I asked my my mom and dad if they could enter me in some races because I just loved flying down the mountain and at that point with racing it was just kind of like obviously nothing I was taking seriously it was just a way to make friends and and meet people. And then it just took off from there. I mean, I realized pretty quickly that I was, I was decent at it. And, um, I think it was, you know, by the age of 15 years old, I had qualified for the Alberta ski team after skiing with BAMPOP Alpine Racers for a few years prior to that. So yeah, I really, really took off with it.
0: And so at 15, what events are you most interested in?
1: Um, tech skiing, yeah, giant slalom and slalom. Um, the speed stuff, I was never kind of big enough for. I was always this tall, scrawny girl. Um, I I did race the Lake Louise downhill, and I for ran the World Cup. I remember standing in front of Lindsey Vaughn. I was like the last forerunner, and she was the first racer on course, and I just <laughs> was mesmerized. Like I'm like, okay, I got a long way to go and a lot of muscle to build if I want to beat World Cup. <laughs>
0: Pop, do you ever get out and bang gates anymore? When's the last time?
1: Funny you ask. Actually, they have a little dually course set up at Whistler Blackcomb, and I was on the mountain yesterday, skiing around with Calum Pettit and. I was like, Cal, we're hitting the race course. Like I'm going to smoke you (laughs) like that competitive spirit comes right out again. And we actually, unfortunately they, they had, uh, I guess somebody break their leg in the course because it was super ruddy. Um, so they had to take the course down and they were like, no, no, you're not, get out of here. You're not allowed, but I'll, uh, I'll get him. I'll get him. Okay.
0: Well, I guess I'm glad. At first, I was bummed you didn't get to run. Now that you may have broken your leg, I'm pretty glad you you didn't uh, send it. You know, I like when we get to just keep intermingling the race side of things with kind of big mountain skiing, and I think these are good things. These should not be two separate worlds.
1: No, I mean I'm so grateful that I had the opportunity to get that racing background, and that that's given me the biggest foundation to my my skiing that I could ask for
0: so I think we're still at the age of 15 now and you are racing a bit talk a bit about was racing sort of I don't know everything you hoped it would be when did you start looking to maybe take skiing in a different direction
1: yeah I mean I thought I was convinced that I was going to be a ski racer. Like that was my destiny. That was all I wanted. It wasn't until I started traveling internationally, um, around the age of 17 with the Alberta ski team was racing some Norams and, um, in, in Europe and, you know, kind of came in there heavy, like feeling pretty good. I had really low GS points at the time. Like, was racing really really well one of the best gs skiers um really in canada for my age and um stepping into these bigger europe races and just getting smoked like absolutely my ass handed to me by girls you know four or five years younger just beating me by seconds and i was like okay I, I really don't know if this is the avenue for me. Um, it was kind of a a reality check. And I, I also just never really felt like I fit in racing. Like it was, it was so structured and so serious. And even on a powder day, it was like, we weren't allowed to go up and shred around. We had to rest and recoup. And I just felt like a bit of an outsider in ski racing a lot. And so? Yeah, I think I was 18. I think this was my last year on the Alberta team. And I was at this pivotal point where I'm like, okay, well, do I dig deeper here and and give this another shot or or what? And um, I'd actually been offered a scholarship to University of Alaska Anchorage um to race NCAA there. And I was like, okay, well this this is four years of paid schooling. My parents are gonna be so proud. I wrote my SATs, just barely passed them, but got through that. It was really hard. And basically I like, had my bags packed to go down to attend school. And I think it was like a week or so before that I just had this deep realization that that was just not my destiny. Like I didn't know part of my being wanted to do it. I just, I didn't know what I, what I was going to do, but I just knew that that wasn't it. And I wanted to close the book with racing and I was terrified, but I went to my parents and I was, I remember I was just crying so hard because I thought they were going to be so disappointed. And I told them, I'm sorry, I'm not going. And having no idea what their reaction was going to be that they, they both just looked at me and they're like, okay, like we support that. They're like, what do you want to do? It's like, I want to move to Revelstoke for the season and ski powder. (laughs) They were like, um, okay, well, we're not going to support you financially. So you better get a job. And I did. I I yeah, would work restaurants at night and ski all day and that was how was it? That they were I was so lucky to have parents that that supported that.
0: Yeah. So this is you're 18 at this point?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 18, I moved to Revelstoke the second year that the resort was ever in operation. So it was just The dream like I mean it was like a private resort like ski on ski off the chair powder all day long like no one had discovered the mountain yet it was truly the glory days of Revelstoke and that's what gave me my foundation of backcountry and and powder skiing because it was just like nonstop hot lapping the resort all day every day time of my life it was one of the best seasons ever.
0: Okay. I love these fork in the road moments. Like when I'm talking to anybody. So there's a part I want to ask about Alaska. You either just, even though you had this scholarship opportunity, you're like, I just feel like I'm sort of done with racing. Was that the entirety of it? Or what was the element where maybe you were like, I'm just not sure that I want to go to college right now, you know? Which of those two things, or both of those things, or how did that shake out for you?
1: I think it was a combination of both. I mean, I've school's never been something I've excelled at, to be totally honest. I I just would barely pass all my courses except for English. I've always loved writing, and journalism is what I wanted to go into. But at this point, I feel like I had just needed this, this year for myself. And I think looking back on that, I'm so glad I took that because so many kids just go straight from high school to university. They don't really know what they want to do. And then they sign up for this degree that, you know, four to six years later, they realize, shit, this isn't what I'm into at all. Um, and then, you know, they've poured all this, this time and money into it. So I'm just so glad that I took this season to reflect and, um, that that's totally what, what that, that year in Revelstoke is like what has shaped me into who I am today. It was, yeah, just so cool to throw myself into this whole new world. And I ended up entering some free ski contests that year and that's where I got my first sponsorship and yeah, the rest is history.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) First of all, I, I just always, I want to back up your point on this. I, I don't love this move where it's sort of assumed like, cool, you're done with high school. Obviously, you have to now just move into college. I, I, think, I think college educations are fantastic and amazing. But if you're not already pretty fired up you know, to go take advantage of the, that time, I'd rather have people not go you know, go do something else, go be passionate about something else, go travel or do whatever. And if, and when you catch that bug, then go back. It's, I mean, school can be expensive and like, it's a lot of time and the rest. And I I think like people that kind of are like, I don't really know. I'm not that fired up about any course of study in particular, maybe not the best use of your time then.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I think that goes with Anything. It's like listening to your gut and chasing that feeling and chasing your passions. That's what gets you places, not just doing something to do something.
0: Yeah. All right. I think we can end that public service announcement that discouraging people <laughs> from pursuing higher education. Yeah. Sick. Per-
1: I know. I'm like, what are we yeah, doing? Yeah, perfect.
0: Our takeaway is we just want people to be engaged in whatever it is that thing that they are pursuing at the present time, right? That's good. That's a good thing. That's a good message.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's anything negative about that message we're sharing, I think. I think it's super important. Like I I don't regret anything that I've ever done because I've had this calling for it and I regret doing the things that I've done just to do them because it fits a mold. So I think that's just the point we're trying to get at.
0: So when you make this fork in the road, I'm just curious, why in particular were you set on Revelstoke of all the places in the world where you may have gone and set up shop?
1: Revelstoke was just this, yeah, it's, I, it's it almost just gives me like shivers thinking about it. It was just this untouched snowy hub of interior bc that was just like so untouched and unknown at the time that it was just especially growing up in the rockies it's like we have incredible terrain but we don't really have the snowpack and every single storm cycle would just hit revelstoke and i remember just hearing stories of how how crazy the powder was and i had to go find it for myself. And it, like I said, just the being there for the first two years of their operation was just unbelievable. It was such a cool experience.
0: Let's fast forward a little bit, maybe bring us up to around the time of passage. So right. Passage came out this last fall. Yeah. Fall 2021. yeah. When were you doing most of the filming and work on this? Has had this been a while or a pretty compact, you know, point of time?
1: Yeah, we we had been filming for the project for 2 years. Initially it was set out to be a 1 year project. Um but COVID had other plans and actually it turned out to be a little bit of a blessing in disguise cuz I think, you know, the I learned so much. I mean, so, so much from, from working on this, but looking back, I'm like, oh yeah, that should have been a two year right off the bat, just cause it's such a, such a great story that I've been wanting to tell for so long and really only having one chance to, to tell it right. Um, it was definitely worthy and deserving of two years, but, um, year one was tricky with COVID. We got shut down right at prime time. Um, when, you know, the big lines and the stability comes into play. We were out of the mountains. So that was a bit of a hit. And then um year two, you know, battled a few injuries, but the the high highs and the low lows of this project were 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 definitely wild to experience. But overall it was just like it was the best two years filming I've ever had in my career. It was so fun.
0: When you say, you know, this is a story I really wanted to tell. I mean, there's multiple story threads throughout passage. And so I guess I'm just curious to hear from your perspective, you know, what stands out to you as being like, well, this was this was maybe the top line story that I wanted to get out. Because I'm curious if what you say resonates with what I kind of felt like from, from watching it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think just telling the story of my family's history in the sport of skiing and how it's so much in my blood and in my DNA. And it's more than a sport to me, you know, it's really like my biggest passion. And, um, it's where I've dropping back into my roots and reliving that family history has really helped me spark new inspiration and motivation. And, help me overcome kind of the hard times in my career, whether that's through injuries or burnout or, or whatever, just working on this project was, was just so, so fun and like such a great goal to, to chase after for the last two years. And yeah, it was really cool to finally get the opportunity to tell it with the right, right crew.
0: Let's talk about injuries. Fun part of the game. Across the course of your career, how lucky, unlucky have you been, sort of in general on the injury front?
1: Yeah, I don't know if I want to consider injuries luck or unlucky. How do you want to consider <laughs> Yeah,
0: this is good. What what how do you think about injuries?
1: I mean, yeah, there's definitely things that I've I, I I'll say right now, I've learned more from my injuries than you know, I've learned more from my failures than my success, like truly. And um Anytime I've been injured in my career, I look back at it and it's been for a reason. Like my big knee blowout in
0: 2017. see. Wait, wait, wait. Um, This is a good sign when you can't even remember exactly when the injury happened. In my own history of injuries, I've always been like, like when you can't quite remember which leg it was on, you know, or like when exactly that happened, I've. I feel like that's a positive.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll i never forget which knee it was on because it chronically bothers me like every day, but <laughs> still that many years later. But that that big first knee injury I had was that happened for a reason. Like I, I was on this path of just invincibility. Like I remember skiing in Alaska that year and just thinking like, i was almost in like a video game and i was this character and like i was unstoppable i was just like skiing at this level that i never even like dreamt i could do um and then boom you know you take a hit like that and it nothing humbles you and puts you in place more than something like that and I wish it had just been like a simple ACL (laughs) like here's a little wake-up call Tatum like tone it back but it was uh that was a hard one um and every other injury that I've had following that has been definitely just like has come at a funny time where it's like it's not a matter of being lucky or, or unlucky, it's just like a lesson that I needed to learn or a step back that I needed to take. And sometimes those those things are forced through injuries and nothing really humbles you or puts things in perspective more than that.
0: Have the injuries changed your mindset or approach when you go out into the mountains these days?
1: Definitely. Yeah, I, I'm grateful for them, honestly. Like I've become so much smarter. I I make better decisions. I have so much more wisdom as like a human being from going through this stuff than I would had I not.
0: This is one of the things I think about a lot is on the one hand, one of the words, I frankly, I don't like the word so much. It was kind of maybe the biggest word in the last, I don't know, at least decade in sort of all these sports we do progression, right? I, I, I hate it kind of part of it was this like, well, you're always trying to go a bit further, go a bit bigger, right? Test the boundaries. If that's really the goal, injuries are a hundred percent inevitable, a hundred percent. And that seems not great to me, you know? Like, wait, so to enjoy these sports like we do, you basically have to sign up for like the injury is 100% in your future or you're somehow not really doing it. Thoughts on that?
1: I hear you. Yeah. I mean, I think in a kind of twisted, weird way, that's what makes what we do so alluring and like so rewarding it's like without risk there is no reward and balancing that fine line of like pushing yourself and your limits as far as you possibly can you're on that edge and succeeding like there's nothing better there's no greater feeling in the world than that And yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's it's a fine line for sure. But I think that's, that's really like why, you know, why I'm in love with the
0: sport. And from a mindset point of view though, I mean, you've said like the injuries have taught you a lot and the rest, I guess that's what I'm wondering about in your case is if you now like when the green light, you know, you get that green light in your own head to ski a given line or when it's a yellow light or a red light and it doesn't turn to green. I'm just curious if you have anything sort of concrete for you where it's like, yep, we're going to do this now or no, we're not. We're backing off today.
1: Hmm. Absolutely. Like every time I've ever been hurt I've had this weird feeling in my gut like something in my intuition telling me don't do it like a little voice in the back of my head there's something that's not quite lining up and every single time that's happened I've hurt myself so it's really just listening to your gut and when you know, you know, like I've, the best lines I've ever skied, I've stood on top and not one cell of my being has been saying no or hesitant. Really? Absolutely. Like I'm, I'm confident. I'm excited. I'm happy. I'm, I'm nervous, but it's like a good fun nervous when it's that nervous feeling of being scared or, that that shaky nerves that you're kinda give you the creeps, like that's when you gotta really reevaluate and think, okay, some this is something's not lining up here. Even if it appears like it is, even if it's the perfect sunny day, the filmers they're lined up, the crews on fire, it's like good vibes and energy. Like, even if it appears to all be coming together, you and you still have you have that little feeling you got to listen to it. Back off.
0: That's such an interesting variable, right? We talked to a lot of professional athletes in that question of, I guess the way to maybe put it is like, how how confident are you? How immovable are you personally when a bunch of other people are standing around and it's like, hey, we kind of think it's time to go Tatum, like everything's in place. Is that a tough thing for you to be like, not nah, nah, not right now. Or have you tended to be pretty good, pretty vocal about? Sorry, folks, it it ain't the time.
1: In my earlier years of my career, I would just brush the feeling aside all the time and be like, "Oh no, like pressure's on, crew's ready, everyone's waiting on me. Like I, I'll go, I'm good, dropping." <laughs> now it's like, it's still hard for sure. Like I've had days or. I've been on top of the lines that it it it's like an all day affair. Like it's you're basically riding one or two, maybe three lines all day. And I've you know the whole crew's worked really hard to get out there, and everything seems to be lined up. And I've called called it off. And they're like, "Well, what the hell?" And I'm like, "No, I'm just I'm not feeling this." And it's. Definitely, it takes a while to get to that point, but that's why I've said I've learned more from my failures and my success, because now when that feeling comes in, I recognize it, I feel it, I know it, and I'm just like, nope, don't care. (laughs) It's not happening. Not today.
0: This feels like a good time to ask you about the last line that we see in passage, Set this up for us. Talk a bit about the location and and then I want to hear a bit of, given everything you've just said, what the mindset was like coming into that.
1: Yeah. So that's that big exposed line that you see. Um Eric Horlifson actually, he was the first one to ski that back in the day. He made it famous. And that's a zone close to home, somewhat close to home, I should say, uh, in Pemberton here, that I sledded by. So, so many times, and it was just something about this particular day that I just knew I was like that if i'm ever gonna ski this line, it's today and that was actually this first day back from my concussion of filming wow, and i i you know I was definitely like struggling a little bit with my energy levels and um that was that was in hindsight, like pretty wild thing to step to. But I just like, again, it goes back to that feeling of just knowing and I just, everything lined up. Like the stars were truly aligned, snowpack, light, crew. The the line was even filled in really, really well that year. Sometimes it get, can get kind of funky and like just everything was screaming yes and all the boxes were being checked. And yeah, it, it was definitely it was a fun one.
0: You said, I think you had spent a lot of years looking up at it. How often had you stood on top of it?
1: Never right on top of it. I'd skied a few lines, kind of lookers left and right of it. And I'd scoped it from a distance in the past, but it was never really calling to me. Like I never really had a desire. It's definitely committing and I won't lie. Like it was, I was pretty fully gripped standing on top but i ultimately like i was just feeling it i was i was that feeling of stoke and and you know nerves for sure fully fully almost shaking but like knowing exactly the turns i was gonna make where i was gonna make them i'd visualized it a 100 times i i was ready and yeah, not one part of me was hesitating and and you can't be on on a line like that cuz it's if you fall you die
0: <laughs> in your head. I mean, you just said like it was pretty scripted out in your head. The visualization game was good for that for that line. Did it feel to you on that day like there was a particular sort of crux move or crux section or is it just no, it's about you know, stringing together and lacing up this whole line?
1: I mean, the crux of it was honestly just dropping into it, like rolling off of the face of the world is what it feels like. And just like owning that feeling and like knowing 110%, zero hesitation that I had it. And it was just like, Once you jump off the ledge, you're in it. (laughs) There's no turning back. And, um, I always have a backup plan and I actually wasn't even going to hit the air at the bottom. I was just going to ski, ski the exposure and then ski around the air. But I was just so into it. I was, it felt right. And I had looked at the air as a plan, as something, you know, kind of that's the best way to ski that line. And, um, I rolled into it and just like knew I was going to, at the bottom, I just knew I was going to hit the air and it was so cool. I'm just so glad that it all lined up.
0: So that was not part of the plan necessarily going in the bottom air.
1: Not necessarily. No. I mean, I, anytime I ride a big line, I always have kind of like plan a plan B and then an abort mission plan where it's like okay you do have to consider what is the worst case scenario what what could what could possibly go wrong evaluate that it's kind of like risk analysis is my is really my living like that's how I make my living (laughs) so just having a backup plan of like if I do fall here I'm likely going to die. I hope that doesn't happen. But if I fall here, I can hopefully fall to the right and not the left. Um, if the slough pushes me out, I can sneak out skiers, right. And if the cliff lines up, I'm going to tee it up. (laughs) And it did, it kind of all fell into place that day. And I, and I kind of knew it would just with my, my gut feeling, like I said, at the top. So
0: that's cool. It's such a cool line. And it's, I hope everybody who has already seen the film or hasn't goes back and watches this now. It's really kind of fun to get to hear the commentary on it, right? And then go back and kind of look at it and be like, okay, so Tatum was saying that she didn't know for sure she was going to hit this air at the bottom. And and just the mindset of rolling in, that was actually the crux. Like, yeah, it kind of checks out actually. Yeah. <laughs> All right. This is the portion of our conversation then where we talk about music because I told you in a segment prior to you know the end of the film, which we just have talked about, I owe you a word of thanks here because there's a beautiful, beautiful segment of you skiing overlaid to a Hamilton Lighthouser song called In a Blackout. So, and a quick backstory on this, I, I told you at one point in time, Hamilton Lighthouser was the lead singer of a band called The Walkman. And there was a point in time where The Walkman was my favorite band in the world, which is not to say they were that big of a band, but this is a true story. And I told you, like, I hadn't listened to The Walkman or Hamilton Lighthouser went out on a, on a solo career. I hadn't listened to him at all and that really took me back and i've kind of gone back and been listening to the walkman again and and so anyway talk a little bit you you had said when when that song had been kind of proposed for that segment it didn't it didn't necessarily click with you it, at least immediately
1: yeah that track was actually something that um simon and quay at ck9 studios had dug up and they threw it in there. And I was like, I don't know, guys, it's like kind of slow. I want the movie to like hit, you know, like we need some, we need some more upbeat, we need some action. And then um, after editing for a few months, and reviewing how well the footage was playing and the location of that segment was fitting with the lyrics of that song, I was just in love with it. And it, quickly became one of my favorite parts in the film. I was skiing with Michelle Parker in Braylorn for that. And there's, I mean, there's one point in that segment where there's a a guy sitting on the porch of his deck. He's got this big beard and he's like petting his cat and drinking his coffee as Michelle, Lisa and I snowmobile by him. That's straight up my favorite shot in the whole film.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's great. And it's just honestly like the segment we've talked about already, the end of the film. I mean, that's the spicy gnar. This segment we're talking about, it's just beautiful skiing. You know, like it's different. And I think that's cool across the film to have these different moods. And skiing is a lot of different things. And anyway, a personal note of thanks for uh, getting me back in on the Hamilton Lighthouser stuff and the Walkman stuff.
1: Oh yeah. That, I mean, I have definitely have the boys at CK9 to thank for that. And my agent Tom, who secured the rights music foot music licensing is just so, so tricky. So I really have him to thank for that. But yeah, that brain learn segment was just so cool. I mean, being out there with Michelle and Elise, Elise, unfortunately hurt her hip. So she wasn't able to film with us every day, but, um, the main bulk of those shots came from um, actually just one or two days with Michelle. I mean, we skied for, for over a week straight, but everything kind of fell in place um, within two days. And we, it was just so cool to be out there with her. Like she'd um, access a lot of that stuff from a heli and, I had been out there a little bit on my sled, but we were really like piecing things together and to fully like come into our own out there and just be like guiding each other around and assessing snowpack and lining up filmers. And Cam Batten, um, he's a filmer who stepped in from Australia to work with CK9 and myself on that. Like he just crushed it. He'd never even been on a snowmobile and we were putting him like... (laughs) into <laughs> some of the deepest zones you could possibly get to outside of Pemberton and he was just crushing it. So, so fun to work with Cam.
0: I told you I was going to give you like a little bit of a an assignment since you're like you said you love this Hamilton Lighthouser song now. I want you to go check out and it's called Everyone Who Pretended to Like Me Is Gone. And I said if you will do if you will do this I will listen to whatever you want me to listen to and and I we were talking about music and I was like what kind of music are you into and you said what did you say
1: I said all I listen to is sad country <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know if you're going to get the the best bargain out of this but yeah that's all I listen to
0: what do you recommend under the sad country music genre where do, where do I begin because I should say I've never been into country. I kind of hate country, like new school country. Like if we go old school kind of with like, I don't know, Johnny Cash. Like to me, that was real country, not like dude and dudes in like tight jeans these days or something. But anyway, I'm, I'm game here. Like, so what what under sad country music should I check out?
1: Oh, I mean, everyone loves Johnny Cash, but yeah, it's the old school country that I really like, but I'm all I've been listening to lately is Charlie Crockett. I'm absolutely obsessed with him. There's this new girl on the scene too, Sierra Farrell. She's actually going to be in Vancouver in a few months. I'm going to get tickets for sure. She's like new age Dolly Parton, where she like sings this old country style, but. In this new modern way, and she just dresses so rad. I'm so obsessed. Um, But yeah, Marty Robbins, like talk about old school. I love him. Um, Ryan Bingham, I think that's how you say his name. I I love his stuff and Zach Bryan. Yeah, I'm just like okay. That's all I listen to.
0: Okay, so I've gotten uh, this is a good place for me to start. And uh, who knows? Who knows? Maybe you just opened up a whole new world for me.
1: I hope so. Say the
0: name the the New Age Dolly Parton. That's an amazing. That's an amazing description. Who is that?
1: Her name's Sierra Ferrell. Um, yeah, she's got some YouTube videos where you can really like see her style and just her whole band is such a vibe. They're like from a different era, but they've brought this like new modern twist to old country and. Yeah, I'm pretty fascinated by her. She's got she she'll like play guitar and a one piece leopard onesie and like cowboy boots and a cowboy hat. And I'm just like, that is sick.
0: <laughs> nice. All right. All right. I, I promise to check this out. But you, it's just one album. That's all I need for you to check out. Everyone who pretended to like me is gone. We okay. We got a deal. Good. <laughs> Now I think what we need to do is talk about skis because we have here at Blister a ski that we all absolutely love and it's a ski that you spend a heck of a lot of time on and we get to go back to calling it the Black Ops since I never could get myself into the whole gamer thing. Uh, So thank God. And I never did actually. I just kept calling it the Black Ops and sometimes in life... Things the world comes back around and you kind of win, um but let's talk about the Razzi Black Ops. The floor is yours. you know you've skied a number of skis in your life. What is it about that ski that connects with you?
1: I mean that's all I've been skiing on since it came out like it's changed the game for me entirely. it's helped me progress my skiing to be quite honest it's like i mean it's such a fun fun shred shredding Powski, it's a 118 um which is definitely like a lot of ski but it just powers through crud chop it it's pivoty it's playful it's twitchy it's like great in the trees but you can straight line out of things at mock 100 on it too and I uh, yeah like the mounting point on it is kind of like takes something to get used to. I give my skis to girlfriends when I'm done with them. And they're always like, these are mounted so centered and weird. And like, I'm like, just surf them. Like you just, you can just absolutely like surf these things down the mountain. And once they like adapt to that and like change their style a little bit, it's just like, they're like, oh my gosh, these are the funnest skis ever. And that's all, then they're converted. Then they're black op fans. (laughs) But I really have, Parker and Logan to think because they, those guys just fully pushed Rosie on this and like pitched it on them for years in the making before, before the ski actually came out. And yeah, I'm, I'm just so grateful for them for conceptualizing this whole, this whole ski. Cause it really, it did come from them.
0: How tall are you and what length of the Black Ops are you skiing?
1: I ride the 176. And I'm
0: 5'7". Yeah. I think those are just, those are helpful things for people to like, oh, she's going super long or, you know, this is how we, yeah, this is what size of human being you are and what length you're on.
1: I mean, a 76 is a short ski coming out of lines, straight lining it out the bottom. They, I trust them a hundred percent. Like they're never just going to squirrel away out from under me or get, the speed wobbles or the shakes because they have that solid core and that foundation and they don't ride short. So I've, I have tried the length up and that's a definitely a fun, hard charging ski, but I like to have the maneuverability and I like to have, I like to have that confidence of like, okay, I want to turn there. The ski's easily just going to smear right there. So to me, the 76 is perfect.
0: Yeah. And I mean, on the 186, which is the only length of that ski I've skied, you know, often if we're getting into 118 millimeter wide skis, we'll sometimes be, you know, opting for skis that are 190, 192, 194 centimeters long. And I think that's another one of the wonderful things about the Black Ops is you still get a in the scheme of things, sort of a relatively shorter ski that's still providing a ton of stability. So you're, you're getting kind of, you know, that maneuverability and stability that is, I think, still a pretty rare combination. I think a very rare combination actually of kind of that 118 millimeter wide category.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Where do you have yours mounted?
1: Uh, I mount them at, at recommended.
0: You are on the line? Yeah. I
1: Parker I think mounts his forward of the line so he's like true center but um the mounting points have always been something that's like fun to play with and interesting but I'm not landing switch as much as those guys obviously so I like it at recommended and it's just like it's so like this I've tried other shapes and other skis and I'm just constantly going back to that it's it's like all i really the one trick one ski quiver for me
0: no and and i mean we we feel very similar what's so cool about it to us is that versatility element often when you're getting into skis that are like 118 millimeters wide sure it's easy to make a ski that floats well if you just are going pretty wide on it and rocker out the tips and tails, but how well it's like, how well that ski handles both powder and not powder is the secret sauce for us, you know, and skiing around Crested Butte or skiing in Taos, like it's where you will hit powder stashes But often, there's steep entrances that are rocked out and sketchy and icy and technical. And you're going to need to hit those scraped off sections to get to the powder stashes or on the exits, you are leaving like the deep fluffy goodness and have some pretty sketchy stuff. And that's why I think we maybe put such a premium on a ski that feels so comfortable and solid like in the not deep, fluffy stuff.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I took the ski up yesterday in the rain. I could have taken like a, I I could have taken my Rally Bird TIs, my 98s up. That would have been a great weapon also. But I just, it takes a lot for me to get off of the 118s because they're just like, I was just carving up the whole mountain with them yesterday and then dipping into the trees. And they're just they go everywhere and they power through stuff too. Like I remember when the trend was just like the lighter the ski, the better and air tips. and I'm so glad we've evolved from that because the swing weight on these things is definitely like a t- they're they're a heavier ski they take a little bit to get used to, but they just that weight, like something about that just helps you power through anything and they're so so stable under your feet. like they they never deflect and like ping or bounce away they're just like this these steady eddies like all the time Mm
0: -hmm. and with a, a bit more forward mount point on the ski even though it is a heavier ski and it's not it's not these wildly tapered tips and tails that more forward mount point still lets that ski pivot really well um you know maybe not if you have if you're going zero miles an hour but if you have any amount of speed under that, um, the ski just pivots easily. But it's not overly pivoty where you feel like you're just like your your tips or your tails are washing out on you constantly.
1: That, totally, I couldn't agree more. Like I do an annual cat trip to Retallic every winter, and that's just the epitome of like deep tree skiing. That's all all you do up there. And these skis are just like the the ticket. Like I've gotten all the girls on them because they're just like, they're so easy. Like they're just so fun through the trees and like you're you're not working for it. You're not like forcing the turns around. You're just like surfing these things and schnoodling them through. And they're, it's just, yeah, I will never go back. I absolutely love the black ops. You
0: might, you might like this then. There is, you can watch this video. This is on tape. This exists in the world where it's a conversation I had with Jake Stevens at the blister summit last year where on tape, I'm like, Jake, if you change this ski, we may have to murder you. <laughs> and so, you know, we're doing our best We're I think we all need to, you know, join together and just like this one, sometimes when you nail a product and I had a conversation with Jake a couple weeks ago and I had this, I was real concerned. I was real concerned that at some point in the conversation, he was going to be like, well, I know you guys love this ski, but like we've changed it or cut it or something. And I was trying to be nice in the whole conversation. And and then finally, like the last thing we talked about in a very long conversation was like, we got some new graphics on the black ops. And it's just like, okay, I don't have to murder you, Jake. This is great. I really, I don't want to spend the rest of my life in jail.
1: <laughs> no, Chris and Parker would never let that happen. It was okay, not, not a chance. Like, and myself included, like we've, yeah, we're, um, we're a little bit protective of the black off at, at this point. It's kind of our baby.
0: Okay. This is good. So if, if Razi does change the ski, and I do have to murder, I can at least be like, no, it was probably one of these other people that, you know, <laughs> yeah. that, that, that got rid of Jake, so <laughs> that's good. Let's talk less about murder maybe and um, talk about the new graphics for, for a minute or two. Um, this is kind of a cool thing. Talk about like what your role was in this and let's tell people a little bit about a ski that I don't think they will have seen by the, yet by the time this comes out, I'm not sure. Well, actually, wait. No, that's not true. They have seen it because Jake told me you went rogue and posted some photos that maybe you weren't supposed to.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rosie sent me the new ski and I didn't know. I was just thrilled to get them, unbox them, saw the graphic and how Beautiful, it turned out. Immediately posted it on my Instagram. <laughs> didn't didn't even consider anything. Got more feedback on that than I almost have on anything I've ever shared. People were just losing their minds with excitement about this graphic. And <laughs> Rosie's like, "Hey, so we didn't really want you to share that." I'm like, "Oh, well, are that's are too late." That? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What are you gonna do? And I think, you know. It, they, they get it. They're like, well, that's the whole point. It's like, w- you guys work for these graphics. And if you're stoked on something Rosie's doing, like, yeah, I guess we do want you to share that. And I think I, I ended up taking a few screenshots of some of the comments that people were sending me and sharing it with the company just to show them like, we're, people are really fired up on these new graphics. They're really, really excited.
0: What should people know about the graphic itself?
1: it's just a combination of the best of two, two worlds, fishing and skiing. And, um, yeah, we worked with a company STS, um, on, on that and just taking the idea into a drawing and then that drawing into a physical graphic was so cool. It was such a rad process. And, there, yeah there's a a rainbow trout on the tips and a brown trout on the tails and there's actually a little where's waldo of my dog burley and she's on the the river bank on the tip of the left ski so keep your eye out for her but this graphic will come out um this fall so yeah it's it's really exciting i think people are i've i've put it this way i never got more comments on on the hill and online of like when can I get this graphic? When is this coming out? So people are excited.
0: I can't believe that we went an hour into a conversation before the word fishing was mentioned. That seems amazing, <laughs> kind of. We talked about horses and gymnastics. When did the fishing thing get to be a thing for you.
1: Watch out. This podcast is going to turn into two hours real quick if we start talking fishing. Um, I've been fishing for as long as I can remember, long before I ever started skiing. Like some of my very first memories are being in my dad's drift boat. As a little girl, he used to put me in like a Tupperware container and we'd, we'd drift down the down the river in the rain and every time he caught a fish, he'd just pass me the rod and I got to reel it in. That's like truly what got me hooked on it. But it's, yeah, it's, I am so obsessed. I truly could talk fishing with you for an hour.
0: I <laughs> believe you. <laughs> yeah. I like that your dad put you in a Tupperware container. <laughs> Is that is that like legal or frowned upon or putting putting young children in a in a river in a Tupperware container?
1: I mean it was always pouring rain like the Rockies just have this crazy these crazy weather changes to them so it would be like freezing pouring rain and he would just plop me in one of those big Tupperwares with an umbrella. And because we couldn't, we can't just pull off of our float and like end our day. We when we're going from Banff to Canmore, it's, you're committed, you're in it. So just to keep me warm and happy, he'd put me in there with, with uh, a little bit of shelter. And then I don't know if it's like, I, I remember that or if if I've seen photos and I'm thinking that I remember that, but it's just truly some of my first memories.
0: (laughs) Whether they're true or not. Yeah. (laughs) I I think maybe we have the graphic now for the next Black Ops is like you as a kid in a Tupperware container in a river. So just throwing that out there um, is a, you know, probably be a huge hit.
1: (laughs) Yeah, totally.
0: I want to let you get going. But before I do, the passage video is available on Red Bull's website. Again, we'll have a link to it. But there's a pretty interesting written interview with you and A line that kind of stood out in that interview for me was, um, you said, my goal from now on is to be more than just a skier. And I'm not sure in this conversation that anyone would accuse you of like only being a skier, like whatever that means. But I did want to ask you about what what does that line, what does that sentence mean to you?
1: Yeah, you know, I think I'm I'm a little hard on myself for sure. I'm more than a skier. I've many other things to offer, but I think it's more of a mindset. Like I've just dedicated my entire life so far to skiing and it's given me everything, but I'm ready to say yes to other opportunities and evolve in different directions and going back to chasing passions like there's so many other things that I want to dive into. So I guess that's where that statement came from.
0: Chasing passions. I like that. Do you care to share maybe any of the emerging passions of yours? You maybe don't even have to be chasing them yet. But this could be sort of the, what are you intrigued by, curious about right now?
1: I'm definitely I've always been drawn to design. I grew up selling product at, on the retail floor of my family's shop and have always just been obsessed with outerwear and technical apparel and outdoor clothing that's transferable, like some, something that I can go hike a mountain in and then go out on a date in a restaurant and like look great. I think there's definitely like a market and a niche there for that. and um clothing and fashion has always been something that i've i've loved and i don't get to exactly like wear (laughs) amazing clothes living here in good old pemberton but um the whole design side is so interesting to me and i'm lucky enough to be working with arc closely on developing a little bit of a prototype for this year and then we have um A strategy for the following year in terms of uh collabing with them again so it's really cool to be working with their team they're the best of the best at what they do and i'm so lucky to have a sponsor that's willing to support me in that direction of design
0: interesting design we'll stay we'll stay tuned
1: yes please do
0: hey it's great to connect uh, this has been fun. Like I said, I'm I'm sorry we didn't get to do it about a year ago, but I'm more happy that you, you know, the little mishap or big mishap seem to be doing well, seem to be feeling good these days.
1: Definitely. Yeah. It's been amazing to come into the season feeling strong mentally and physically. And I think that's why I've just been skiing in the rain <laughs> the last few days. It's just like how great is it to be able to go up and just like hot lap, get your legs going instead of going to the gym and doing it there. It's like the best way to train is to do, actually do the activity. So it's been really fun for me to get the miles in early season and get ready for for a good winter.
0: Excellent. And now or soon you're going to link up with your brother. Yeah.
1: Yeah. My big brother, he's coming to visit me um for the first time in a few years so uh i was really hoping to get them out snowboarding and off of off of the sleds up the glaciers um unfortunately with this rain event i don't know how much pow will be shredding but good vibes nonetheless and uh i'm actually yeah i'm gonna head to the airport after this conversation pick them up i'm really excited
0: well i hope you guys have a great time appreciate the conversation and uh it's fun catching up with you on this stuff and I I just really hope people go watch or rewatch Passage in the light of what you've said about it. And then um I'm really looking forward to seeing what uh what you and uh, Arc'teryx come out with together. So any any are you able to tell us when we can expect to maybe start seeing some things?
1: You'll see some things on me this winter, but um there's a long-term strategy for producing a few more units in the following years that um, people can buy and keep an eye on uh, in the front window of of Minot sports. I mean, how cool would that be to design something with my dream sponsor that's in the window of my family's business? That's really the, the, the big goal, the big picture for me.
0: That's a good one. I like that. Hey Tatum, thank you. This has been fun look forward to catching up uh, again down the line at some point.
1: Thank you, Jonathan. It's been awesome. Have a great winter too.
0: Thank you. Likewise. Well, that's it for this edition of the Blister podcast. I want to say thanks to Tatum for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. And as I said at the top of the show, stay tuned for a very big announcement that we are going to be dropping tomorrow on a special edition of Gear 30. We've actually been teasing this new initiative for a while now, and tomorrow is the big reveal. So subscribe to our Gear 30 podcast if you haven't already. And then if you are enjoying these conversations, please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts and we'll keep putting out these conversations. Plus, a little fun fact, Tatum and I were talking off air and we thought that maybe for our next conversation, we maybe ought to do it drunk. So, I don't know, if that sounds like a good idea to you, let us know. All right, take care everybody and we will talk to you tomorrow.